and then they'll have me lucky charms the pink clovers yellow moons <laughs> <laughs> it's a wee little problem and meanwhile you're stuck down there <laughs> and if this ship goes crashing i'm gonna aim it right to where you are <laughs> welcome to damn it jim the podcast it's a fun and fascinating exploration of star trek the original series Hosted by Dan Calzaretta and Dana Smith. This week, we are discussing Season 2, Episode 5, The Apple. Good evening, Dan. Dana, how are you this evening? Pretty good. Uh, had a busy day, and I'm ready to talk Star Trek with you. Sounds good. Well, before we dive into this week's episode, we did get a lot of comments. Some good, some bad, over... Uh, last week's episode of Mirror Mirror. First off, I want to say for a lot of people, they said they loved this episode. I think because we poked a couple of holes in the plot. I mean, the holes were already there, but we just widened them <laughs> as we're known to do. Yeah, I mean, we just pointed out the obvious, Dana. Dana, we're not beholden to some mythic or mythological view of Star Trek being the greatest television show ever made, and there can be nothing wrong with it, and there can be no criticism you know, we just talk about it honestly, I think. That was Dan Calzaretta. It was not Dana Smith who <laughs> voiced that opinion. Next week, uh, the episode will be with somebody else. <laughs> One thing, we're not beholding to anybody. We don't have any sponsors. Nobody's paying us to do this. In fact, some people might pay us to stop. <laughs> we're doing this because we do love Star Trek. As a lot of people, I think, understand, we are trying to get some laughs out of this. We are uh, exploring parts of it that I think a lot of people don't look at. That's the fun of this podcast, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Well, let's get on with the comments from the fuckers who don't agree with us. <laughs> Kevin Miller said a bikini scene with uh, by Marlena would have, have been logical. I wanted to point out there actually was a bikini scene with her, but she just had that silky robe over it. I had read that she had lost weight because she had gotten the flu or something. And uh, so when they shot that scene to keep her from looking too skinny they uh put that robe on her and she had the idea of wearing the bikini underneath it i did not know that brett stump uh said my question has always been when a transporter malfunction beams you to a mirror universe how come it switches your clothing to match your counterparts i think that's a solid question yeah, it's a great question. There's there's no answer to it. That's another hole. Our uh, friend Matthew Fleming said, uh, is the ramble jar on spring break? Because you guys were off the hook. I think that's a compliment, right? I, I, I think so. <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't think we rambled that much, Dana, but when I listened to it later, we did ramble a lot. Yeah. And the, the jar was not apparently within arm's reach. As I, I said on one of the uh, comments on Facebook, I said, the ramble jar is alive and well. Yeah. We just don't always reference it, but it's obvious we're rambling. Yeah, there is not uh, a ramble that happens that is subtle. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Matthew was one of the ones who uh, mentioned, and a couple other people did as well, said, I hate to lawyer this, uh, but are you counting the two crewmen from the alternative enterprise who got disintegrated during the assault on Kirk? And what about the guys who blinked out of existence? So my question is, should we have counted crewmen from the ISS enterprise? You and I discussed that. That, so. Yeah, we we discussed it for a long time, and none of it made it into the podcast. <laughs> and here's 
here's why. I'm just going to give a brief little description. That was at the end of the podcast, right? When we do that segment, it's right near the end of the podcast. So that's two and a half hours into the podcast. You know, we discussed back and forth, but then it got kind of sidetracked into a ramble and none of it seemed to make any sense. And then we were already at almost 40 minutes when I was editing it. So I just cut it so that we both said no and all the good stuff (laughs) got cut out. But we did discuss it and I was originally advocating that we should count them. And I said we shouldn't because no one died on the Enterprise. Yeah. And I I ultimately agreed with your position, but only because I was tired and wanted to go to bed. I think the argument could be made and probably made pretty well from either side, right? We could put an asterisk like in the final count that there were four that were killed in an alternate universe, I suppose. Uh, Several people said uh, Mirror Mirror is the best uh, or my favorite episode. I had asked a question about and we had talked about Kirk's speech at the end and a couple people commented that Kirk's speech was necessary to reveal Spock, the Tantalus field device and to get Spock to understand the illogic of the Empire. That was from Raymond Rose. I agree. Raymond, thanks for that comment. I agree But my God, he could have just said, you can become a force for good with the Tantalus device. See you later. (laughs) And then we had this uh, Gregory. He says, I see you're not real Trekkies. This was the introduction to the parallel universe. Only some things are changed. And because I had asked the question, if wouldn't the Halkins be warlike if it's a mirror universe? Wouldn't they just be the opposite of peace loving? And he said, if the Halkins were warlike, there would be no story. He's got somewhat of a point there. And then uh, I'd also comment that I think people would have liked to seen a little bit more of a fight between Uhura and Marlena. He says, uh, if you want to see that, try female wrestling. And back to Kirk's speech, he uh, says it ties in with the sequel on Star Trek Continues. And then he says, says Kirk can tell the Vulcans are still more moral than humans in the mirror universe. A couple things here that I want to comment on. One, we're not talking about sequels. I mean, it's just a, a YouTube show. Uh, the Star Trek continues. Two, I think we can make jokes. They may not be funny, Dana, but <laughs> we can make them. We laugh and that's important. So, and occasionally we ask uh, good questions. I think so. And uh, as far as uh, Vulcans are still more moral than uh, humans in the mirror verse, I agree. That's a great comment. Thanks for everyone's comments. We really appreciate the dialogue. There was a lot of comments on Mirror Mirror. Well, Dana, there were no comments on YouTube. How come, Dan? Well, it's because I forgot to upload this episode to YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, thanks for everyone's comments. And uh, (laughs) and we do still have the ramble jar going. Just hang tight. I'm sure we'll get back to it soon. Having said all that, Dan, should we discuss the apple? Yeah, I think it's about about time we get on this one. So we start off with uh, Kirk, Spock, Chekhov, Yeoman, Landon, and uh, a couple of security officers beaming down to the planet Gamma Trianguli 6. And Gamma Trianguli is a real star about 112 light years from Earth. They beam down, they turn around, Spock and Kirk look back, and then uh, Dr. McCoy and two more security guards beam down. Kirk says the last scout ship reported some pretty strange sensor readings, and Starfleet wants to investigate and uh, have the inhabitants contacted. Spock notes that the soil on the planet is rich and fertile, and that there is little variation in temperature, even at the poles, with a planet-wide average of 76 degrees. Chekhov says uh, makes him homesick, because it's just like Russia. More like the Garden of Eden, Ensign. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. 
A very nice place. It must have made Adam and Eve very sad to leave. And then the security guard walks towards a flower that seems to be rotating towards him, and he is shot and killed by this pot plant. Someone on the writing team hated plants, Dana. They thought they were all deadly. I mean, this is the second time we've seen plants that shoot things at people. Now, the first time it gave them kind of euphoria, right? This time it kills them, but same kind of deal. Maybe it's a new way of pollinating. The body disintegrates into the ground and the the plant grows again. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, And McCoy goes to the man and he says... He's dead. And right at that moment, we see someone moving through the brush. Kirk says, what did somebody say? That paradise must have looked like this? Yeah, but here's the other thing. The red shirt gets killed. By the way, there are four security guards, right? All in red shirts. I was thinking, this has got a great start to it. But after this guy gets killed, they're all just standing there like, aren't they worried about other plants shooting them? They're surrounded by plants. Surrounded. Yeah, (laughs) they're surrounded. Yeah. And in fact, Kirk picks one. And he's like looking at it. (laughs) That's how tough Kirk is. He's not afraid to face danger. So Kirk contacts Scotty on the bridge. Gets to see Scotty in charge of the ship. Always like that. Scotty reports they're encountering a minor problem with the antimatter pods and that the readings on the plant's electromagnetic field are a wee bit abnormal. At this point, it does not appear to be a major problem, but Kirk says keep an eye on it. And Spock reports with his tricorder has detected strong subsurface vibrations coming from miles in all directions that are quite strong, fairly regular, and artificially produced. Now, Dana, I think this is the spot. Scotty says that the antimatter pods are losing their potency. Yeah. Do they not have dilithium Viagra? I mean, they got nothing to kind of pump those pods up. <laughs> Cotton, we need the we need the ship the USS extends. <laughs> That was a very bad Scotty. <laughs> yeah, but, but I love the uh, the joke, so it worked for me. So Kirk sends Mallory out to scout the area, but tells him not to interfere with the inhabitants. How about don't go near plants that look like this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Spock points out that there is a humanoid directly behind them that's following them. Chekhov checks on Yeoman Landon. All this beauty, and now Mr. Hendorf dead, somebody watching us. It's frightening. Worry about me. I've been wanting to get you in a place like this for a long time. Then Kirk walks up. Kirk says, Mr. Chekhov, I know you find each other fascinating, but we're not here to conduct a field experiment in human biology. (laughs) I love that line. Yeah, it's a great line. Yeah, that was a a great line. So Kirk warns everyone that they're being watched and to be careful. So they head out and we see the bush moving again. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Kirk says, we're moving out formation L. Oh, yeah. Which apparently is a straight line. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how they move out. Just in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, I thought somebody would be like kind of off to like one side or something. But that you're right. They were all in a straight line. Spock picks up a rock. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help but laugh at this part. <laughs> <laughs> he breaks the rock and says an analysis should prove interesting. Then he throws one half of the rock away and it explodes, like a fairly big explosion. And Spock says the rocks in large quantities could be a significant source of power. And Kirk says Garden of Eden with landmines. Well, this whole thing about the rock, first off, why didn't it explode when he broke it in half, Dana? That was my question. I have no idea. And and the second thing is, can you just see Spock just like tossing the rock, like just tossing it, like he's throwing a piece of garbage up 
out the window of the Enterprise, you know? It just seems so out of character for him. I'm going to be honest, you know, I am a Trekkie, Dana, but that was stupid. But he carefully sets the remaining part of the rock down. Yeah, right, he did, yeah. Because <laughs> the one just blew up where it should have blown up when he broke it in half. By the way, Dana, hold on that rock. Once again. So styrofoam. It even sounded like it when he broke it in half. <laughs> Surprise, uh, Chekhov didn't say, that sounds just like Russian styrofoam. Exactly right. Back on the ship, Scotty calls Kirk and says the antimatter pods are completely inert. So they, they're past the point of Viagra. In fact, he could have just said that they were flaccid. <laughs> he says, like, we couldn't stop it, but he knows why. And he says, it's a beam of energy from the surface, like a pail of water on a fire, like nothing I've ever seen before. Just then, one of those darn flowers turns towards Kirk and Spock pushes Kirk and McCoy out of the way and he gets hit with the flower's darts. And Spock drops to the ground. Kirk and McCoy rush back to him and Kirk tells the others security alert and everyone draws their phasers and walks away. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Like security alert. You're on your own. (laughs) We're out of here. McCoy administers a hypo, but he says Spock's not responding. He says, we've got to get him back to the ship. And Kirk calls Scotty and says they need to beam up. They go to energize, but nothing really happens. Scotty says, we can't make transporter contact. We couldn't beam up a fly. Suddenly, Spock sits up. Did you notice the thorns were gone? Yeah. And no holes in his shirt. Yeah, and they never took him out of him. No, no, they did not. Spock says, Dr. McCoy's potion is acting like all his potions, turning my stomach. Other than that, I am quite well. If your blood were red instead of green, you wouldn't have an upset stomach. Because he'd be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think Spock should have been a little bit more grateful to McCoy for saving his freaking life? But we don't know if McCoy's potion saved his life or it was just Spock's green blood. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's totally true. Kirk asks, what were you doing? He explains uh, that Kirk did not see the danger. And so he says he just wanted to help. And Kirk says, next time, just yell. He goes, do you realize how much Starfleet has invested in you? And Spock replies, 122,200. And Kirk says, never mind. Yeah, we don't know what they're talking about. They don't say, like he cuts him off before he's able to say credits or dollars or Vulcan trading cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, adult diapers. <laughs> Speaking of which, Dan, our new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> North Shore Adult Diapers. <laughs> For when you just can't make it to the bathroom fast enough. While you're sitting there listening to us, you've got one burning to go, don't you? <laughs> Tired of soiling your pants? Try North Shore diapers. <laughs> <laughs> we use them and we love them. <laughs> North Shore diapers. <laughs> For when you really got to take a shit. Boop, boop. <laughs> we could do this. We could be making so much money. Kirk states that something is after us and after the ship as well. Spock says that something that is affecting the ship at this range would, requ- would require a great deal of power, a highly sophisticated planetary defense system. So just then, the sky clouds over and everyone watches and we see the security guard Kaplan standing by himself and then lightning flashes and Kaplan gets struck by lightning and is disintegrated. Yeah, so we've had two red shirts die in two very dramatic and dramatically different ways. Yeah. It was great. It was great. And then Kirk yells for everyone to take cover and lightning just misses heading Chekhov. And then all of a sudden the clouds reverse and the sky is clear. 
there. They run to where Kaplan was, and I so badly wanted to say, burnt to a crisp, just like Schmitter. Schmitter. He's gone. Just a little pile of dust. It was smoking, though, that uh, yeah. that hole. It was a smoking hole, Dana. Once again, brought to you by North Shore. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a smoking hole of your own? <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do need to make a clarification. So I was listening to a baseball game the other night. It was the Chicago Cubs playing the Mariners. By the way, the Cubs won and walk off on the in the bottom of the 10th inning, but that's neither here nor there. But one of the sponsors was North Shore Adult Diapers. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, you're used to hearing hot dogs, beer, maybe some financial institution. This is the first time, Dana, I have ever heard an ad for diapers of any kind, baby or adult, on a on a baseball broadcast. The great part was they couldn't make these jokes on the broadcast, but we can. <laughs> and you know they're thinking them. Oh, they've got to be. That may be a ramble. All this might be a ramble, so we might be putting money in the ramble jar right about now. <laughs> so security guard Mallory calls, and he's at the village, and we see that he's looking at the huts of the natives of the planet, and the huts look like they're straight out of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Well, that would have been right about the same same time, right? Yeah. I think uh, Gilligan's Island was on CBS, but maybe, you know, they're same lot or something. So, Or it's the same, like, prop company, you know, rent a hut or something. <laughs> so uh, it would have been funny if, like, Ginger walked out, you know, with uh, one of these outfits on. Yeah, it would have been. I was more of a Marianne guy. You were a Mrs. Howell type. <laughs> Mallory sends the coordinates, but his message get, gets kind of broken up and he says there's something else, but the message doesn't go through. They go towards Mallory and then they see Mallory running towards them and he's saying something like, you got to see, and then he steps on one of those rocks and it explodes and he went flying. Yeah. In fact, I was reading that the actor who played Mallory was seriously injured in that explosion, he had to go to the hospital. Now he's laying on the ground in the show because right, he's dead, he's number three, and they're looking at him. I wonder if that was like the real guy. They're like, keep rolling. You know, uh, he's acting. Wow. He's a great actor. He looks really injured. We'll stitch that leg back on later. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be able to cut the moaning out too. That's no problem (laughs) in post-production, but keep going. Uh, Yeah. He was apparently really injured in that explosion. Yeah. I was wondering if the guy on the ground was a stuntman for the stuntman. It could have been. I mean, I suppose it could have been, right? They had to cart the other guy off to the hospital. Something like that. You hope that they stopped and didn't just keep shooting. <laughs> yeah, you would hope so. But here's the other thing. This is this kind of is similar to the thing where Spock throws the rock, okay? A security guard running, like just running, yelling something. We can't even tell exactly what he's yelling. I mean, he wasn't being chased. There was no danger to him. He just decides to go running, and then he steps on a rock that blows him up. I mean, it just didn't make sense. What would have been really funny is if he's just walking back and he steps on the other half of the rock that Spock had set down (laughs) earlier. It's like, oh, crap. I hope that doesn't make it in the report. So Spock notices again that they're being followed and uh, he calls Marple and Chekhov over and informs them that someone is following them. He asks for Spock and Chekhov to create a diversion and Kirk runs around and comes up behind the man as he emerges from the brush and Kirk punches the guy. And the guy looks like he's pretty good size and he prepares for a fight, but then he sees that this guy that he hit is crying. And we we see this alien for the first time. And I think he's got one of Chekhov's old wigs on. 
Yeah, it's been <laughs> dyed blonde. Yeah. Uh, and he's got some face paint on. And he's got like a spray tan too. Yeah. They kind of show a close-up of him and you can see he's got like antenna sticking out from behind his ears. Yeah, just two pieces of like wire. It almost looked like a retainer. Oh, you mean like one of those wraparound retainers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, those things. Yeah, I never had a retainer, but my brother did. One of those things. It, it looked like a, a medieval torture device. But the guy goes, you struck me with your hand. <laughs> and Kirk's like, I'm sorry. And the man says, I am the eyes of Val. And Kirk asks, who is Val? And Val is everything, the man says. He then says, his name is Akuda, and he is the leader of the feeders of Val. Do you think that guy took any acting lessons ever in his life? I've seen that guy in other things. Was he as bad as he was in this? No, I think he was trying hard to be bad in this. He was particularly bad. I mean, he was really bad. He was never like, you know, a world-class actor. You know, he wasn't going to give Keanu Reeves a run for his money. uh... (laughs) Yeah, well, he's dead. So we can say anything we want about him. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the landing party comes around and Kirk asks to speak to Val. And Akuta says, he is the only one that speaks to Val. He is the eyes and the voice of Val. And Spock says, fascinating, and steps forward to examine Akuta. And he notices the antenna. Akuta says, he will take them to Val. So Scotty calls Kirk just as he issues condition red on the Enterprise. He says, something has grabbed them from the surface like a giant tractor beam and they can't pull out. Warp drives are still out. Without any warp drives, they can't pull away. They can only maintain orbit for 16 hours. I'm surprised it wasn't 30 minutes, Dana. (laughs) Kirk says, you know everything about the ship. You're my chief engineer. If you can't figure it out, you're fired. That was a good line though, right? Yeah. Is that a threat? I mean, they're down on the planet. Scotty can't beam them up. If Scotty does break away, all he's got to do is go, yep, I don't know what happened to him. (laughs) (laughs) Last thing I heard was something about a fire. I I don't really know. (laughs) Kirk asks about Val again, and Akuta says, all the world knows about Val. He causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine. All good things come from Val. Kirk says, he wants to speak directly to him. And Akuta says, he only speaks to me. This is about the third time that Akuta is trying to spell this out for Kirk. He's the only one that Val speaks through. Yeah, who's the thick one here? Yeah. (laughs) Did this remind you, though, a little bit of, I don't know, Landru? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they go through a brush, come to a cave, and it's a serpent's head with a fiery mouth that's kind of like glowing on the inside and green eyes. Yeah, but Dana, hold on. This was the biggest paper mache serpent's head I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it looked like something that a third grader would make. I was reading about this, and they said that they had a budget for the year for special effects. And so they figured they could only spend about $10,000 per episode. Because I guess NBC said, if you go over your budget, you know, before the 29th episode or something like that, we're just going to cancel the show. So the prop guy used aluminum foil, which I guess was pretty cheap back then, built up a structure and covered it with aluminum foil and they got the creases and everything. And then they painted it and they gave it even more texture. Spock says it's a very high order of workmanship. Obviously, Spock's context lenses weren't working or something. But, uh, <laughs> 
very ancient and generating great power. They move forward as Spock says, this is not the source of the power. The power is deep underground. And then suddenly Spock gets zapped and it's a force field. So now Spock has been hit by darts that killed a normal man, yeah. broke a stone in his bare hands mm -hmm. and nearly blew up. And now he's been zapped by a force field. Yeah. We're not even halfway through the show. <laughs> Kirk asks Akuda how he talks to Val. And Akuda says, Val calls me. Akuda says, Val sleeps now. When he gets hungry, you may be able to speak to him. So they go back to the village and everyone is dressed like they came out of a 1940s movie about tropical islands. They're, they're wearing sarongs. They've got flowers in their hair and flowers around their wrists. Did you notice, though, you could see the men's nipples? Now, they were painted over, but they weren't, like, totally obliterated with, with tape, like in Who Mourns for Adonais. So Kirk asks about children. Akuta calls them replacements. Then he says they are not necessary, and they are forbidden by Val. Why? I don't know, but so far I like this place. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe Val had to sit next to one on an airplane, and he's like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if I ever get my own planet, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is you can lock those kids in the airplane bathroom and they, they can't, they're too short. They can't get out. So <laughs> that and a little bit of Benadryl. Do you think, do you think I'm going to get in trouble for that from like the, I don't know. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> no, only the people who have not sat next to someone on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> So for our listeners, Dana and I just went on about a 15-minute ramble about airplanes <laughs> and various things that happen on airplanes that annoy us. I've cut all that out, but it was good. Way inappropriate, so. <laughs> I don't know if it was that inappropriate. I mean, there was some stuff about sticking kids in toilets and cutting off people's <laughs> legs, but I, you know. <laughs> If it's a short flight, okay, you can live with it. But if it's a long flight, totally deserved. Okay, so should we get back to the show? Yeah, let's get back to it. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. That was a good ramble. So Landon says, but when a man and a woman fall in love, and she's like trying to figure out how to say, how do they have sex? And Akuda then says, Love? What is love? Love is when two people are... Ah, yes, the holding, the touching. Vol has forbidden this. Well, there goes paradise. Wow, this is Vol is a bastard, man. Yeah, so so much for this being a paradise. So then the people take the landing party to a hut, and Akuda says, this is your house. I will bring you food and drink. And Chekhov says, now we're welcome. A while ago, the whole planet was trying to kill us. It doesn't make sense. So Kirk calls up the Enterprise, and Scotty says, there's no change. Orbit is decaying. Kirk says, get everyone into the main section, discard the warp drives, and get out of there. You watched Next Generation, right? Yeah. They were able to detach the saucer section from the rest of the ship. Yeah. They were going to do that in this episode. Yeah, it's part of the original script, right? Yeah. And it is such a, almost a throwaway line in this episode. If we didn't know about the Next Generation, it wouldn't really make any sense. We would not be having this discussion. Right. Kirk tells well, Scotty, use your imagination, but get the ship out of there. They exit the hut and watch as people go to the serpent's mouth to drop off flowers and food. So Kirk and Spock decide to try to get closer, but the serpent's eye changes color. Uh, they stop and crouch back down behind the fauna. Kirk supposes that Val 
needs to eat constantly. So it doesn't have great power reserves. And then he asked Spock to check with the ship's astrophysics lab. So McCoy comes up. He and Spock are kind of arguing over whether the humanoids on the planet are growing and developing or if they're okay in their stagnated form. McCoy says Kirk needs to intervene. Is this not right for these people not to have evolved? There are certain absolutes, Mr. Spock, and one of them is the right of humanoids to a free and unchained environment. The right to have conditions which permit growth. Another is their right to choose a system which seems to work for them. Jim, you're not just going to stand by and be blinded to what's going on here. These are humanoids, intelligent. They need to advance and grow. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like they're hitting us over the head with this, Dana. <laughs> Scotty contacts Kirk to report that Val's power output has been slowly decreasing and that they are working on increasing power to the ship's impulse engines. But the work will take eight hours to complete. In fact, he says it's going to take, what, seven hours and 45 minutes? Yeah. In eight hours, they will crash into the planet. So they've only got like this buffer of 15 minutes, which is Scotty's sweet spot. Let's, let's face it. That's where he does really well. He's like, I'm not going to do anything. Actually, I need to do a Scotty accent. Ah, oh, Captain, I'll, t- I'll be taking a seven hour and 45 minute nap. And then I get up with 15 minutes left and then it'll be time to do something. That actually sounds like the Lucky Charms guy. It sounds nothing like Scotty. <laughs> and then I'll have me Lucky Charms, the pink clovers, yellow moons. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll finally do something about the damn ship. It's a wee little problem. And meanwhile, you're stuck down there. <laughs> and if the ship goes crashing, I'm going to aim it right to where you are. <laughs> the last thing you see is me smiling face as the ship is about to ram right into your ass. Okay, totally destroyed. Scotty, the Scottish accent, how he would act. Yeah, anyway, that's that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So next thing we see is Akuda standing in front of the serpent head. Get the idea. He's getting a message from Val. And then he says, I understand, Val. It shall be done. And he walks off. So the next thing we see after that is uh, Yeoman Landon and Chekhov are out for a stroll, apparently not worried about the flowers or the exploding rocks or the lightning. And says, you know, if it weren't for Val, this would be paradise. And Chekhov comes up and he hugs her from behind. He says, any place we can be together is paradise. And we see there's a guy and a woman watching them as Chekhov kisses Landon's neck. And Chekhov and Landon don't know they're being watched. Uh, Landon pulls away and asks if the ship really can't break away. And Chekhov says, I don't know. And then he kisses her. He says, if we have to stay here, would it be so very bad? Yeah, it'll be bad because there'll be 400 dead crewmen that have gone (laughs) burning up in the atmosphere that you'll see. Yeah, it'll be bad. What the heck is that about? So we see that the man and the woman that are watching them are perplexed. And and then they say, it seemed pleasant to them. And the guy kisses the girl and she says, it is pleasant. And he says, yes, being touched in this way. <laughs> I know we could go so many ways with this, but you know what? We're mature. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Uh... <laughs> so they kiss again and then thunder rumbles and they break the kiss. Val is obviously angry and Akuda comes up out of nowhere and he says the law is plain. 
That guy. Yeah, the guy who's doing the kissing there. That was David Soule, who played Hutch in Starsky and Hutch. My guess is he left this one off his resume. So Val speaks to Akuda, and Akuda says, tell the men to meet me when the strangers are asleep. And then the next thing we see is the men and Akuda are gathered together. Akuda has this like big antler type thing in his hands. And he says, uh, we have to kill the strangers. <laughs> he just like says it, you know, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's like, we don't understand kill. So he demonstrates by smashing like this cantaloupe looking thing. He says it is simple. Yeah. Do you think this is where Gallagher got the idea to smash the watermelons? <laughs> I hated that guy. Oh, my God. The whole watermelon thing, Dana. I mean, some of his jokes might have been funny. I don't remember. Yeah. All I remember is the watermelon, and that became like his shtick. Apparently, he, I think he did away with the watermelon later on. And then he died. So there you go. See what happens? You drop your watermelon. <laughs> Gotta hate the watermelon. Oh, man. If you were to put on a video of Gallagher, you know, like I had to watch the video or smash my own watermelon, I think I'd be smashing my own watermelon. When we're saying watermelon. My head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did, didn't that guy annoy you? He annoyed me, Dana. He annoyed me more than a kid on an airplane who's screaming. Yeah, first time I saw him, it was funny. But then, and he was everywhere in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But by the fifth or sixth time you saw him, it's all the same. Right. And I don't think his jokes changed either. No. But Can you tell I just did not like Gallagher? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to get that picture. Usually I don't get too, like, wound up about things. But you mentioned Gallagher and watermelons to me. I like watermelon. I really do. Maybe that's why I was so upset that he was ruining all these what look like perfectly good watermelon to me. It's a waste. That's all. Okay. We can move on. <laughs> so Kirk and Spock are in the hut. Kirk calls up to Scotty and Scotty reports that they're almost ready. Another half hour. And Kirk says in another 45 minutes, the ship will be pulled down. And Scotty says, I know we're cutting things fine. That was good. That one was good. Spock comes back and says the people of Val seem to have disappeared. So they go out of the hut and they approach Val. Kirk tries to talk to Val and the thunderclouds move in. Lightning fills the sky. And as they run, Spock is hit by a bolt of lightning and Kirk picks him up and throws him over his shoulder and carries him away. Okay. We, we've got our own count in this show just for Spock. <laughs> That's true. Hit with the darts. The darts, yeah. Broke the rock with his bare hands. Mm -hmm. Didn't blow up. He got zapped by the force field. Right. Now he gets hit by freaking lightning. Yeah. <laughs> He's having a bad day. Why didn't the lightning kill him when it killed the security guard? It wasn't a direct hit. Okay. Just got close to him. Yeah, Spock was running. So back at the hut, McCoy looked at Spock and says, it's second degree burns. Not serious, but I bet they smart. And Spock replies, doctor, you have an unsurpassed talent for understatement. Just then the tribe comes at the men with sticks. One hits Marple and Marple drops like a rock. Or a watermelon. Landon shows some serious judo and karate abilities and uh, the aliens have no idea what a fight really is. Yeah. And quite quickly, the landing party defeats their attackers. Spock says, The good doctor was concerned that the Valians achieved true human stature. I submit there's no cause for worry. They've taken the first step. They've learned to kill. And they says that because the other security guard, Marple, is dead. That's four. Yeah, I was pretty excited about that. Back on the ship, Scotty tries full reverse. And he calls down to the captain and says, we're doing it. We're pulling away. And then they lose all their power. And he says, we, we gained almost an hour, but we blew up every system in the process. So he can have at least one or two more bowls of Lucky Charms before he really <laughs> needs to worry. 
And he says, I guess you'll have to fire me, sir. And Kirk says, you're fired. But he doesn't say it gleefully. What do you think? You know, we've brought up Lucky Charms in a couple of episodes, I think, with Scotty. But I never asked you, do you even like Lucky Charms? When I was a kid, I did. I don't think I've had Lucky Charms in 50 years. Really? Well, I used to pick all the marshmallows out. And I think that's why I've got no teeth left. They just, they immediately, like, make your tooth into a cavity as soon as you bite down on one of those. The cereal was pure sugar. Yeah. Though it was fortified with eight essential vitamins vitamins and minerals, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, my favorite though, of like those sweet cereals is definitely Captain Crunch. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You just had to let it get soggy a little bit though. Yeah. Otherwise it tore the crap out of the roof of your mouth. <laughs> I, I still about once a year around the winter holidays, I treat myself to box Captain Crunch with crunch berries and it, you know, around the December holidays, they've got like red and green colors and some tree shaped things, I think, which are really super dangerous because they're kind of pointy. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. Although, you know how I said I didn't like Gallagher? Multiply that by about a thousand. And that's how I feel about the abomination that is peanut butter Captain Crunch. Well, see, I'm allergic to peanut butter, so I've never had that. I, I'm not a fan of the cr- of the berries. You don't like the berries? I, I can live with that. I can, I can live with someone saying, hey, I just like the original Captain Crunch. Pure Captain Crunch. And I've had Captain Crunch as an adult. Yeah. My favorite, though, my one weakness, my wife's been trying to break me over for years, is uh, Pop-Tarts. Oh. Oh, now see, that's something I haven't had in years and years and years. Brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts, my favorite. That's interesting. Never would have guessed you're a Pop-Tart kind of guy. Yeah, my wife has her way. I, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like sneaking them. She'd find little stashes of Pop-Tarts in various places around the house. Do you eat them like uh, just out of the package or do you put them in the, in the toaster? Yes. <laughs> okay, let me ask it this way. Do you open the package before you eat them? <laughs> <laughs> they come in a package? <laughs> They're in like a, a little foil packet, aren't they? Like a pouch? Yeah. And uh, no, I, I take them out of the packet, mm-hmm. uh, put them in the toaster. Yeah. But usually I want it so bad, I start eating the other one that's not in the toaster. <laughs> Do, do those get like super hot and they could totally burn your mouth if you weren't careful? It, it's not like the ones with the jam. Like they, you know, they used to do the strawberry jam ones or whatever. Those would be like molten lava on your yeah, tongue. Yeah, that's and what I remember. Just... <laughs> you think they've got Pop-Tarts in the 23rd century? Oh, I, I've got no doubt. Yeah, that they've got Pop-Tarts, yeah. Moving off of the cereal stuff. Yeah, we've really, uh, we're, we're pumping up the ramble jar this uh, this episode, Dana. <laughs> okay, so the Pop-Tart company, I think we can get them to be, because we, we really haven't made fun of them other than say they're not healthy and they'll burn the shit out of your mouth. But um, <laughs> And they're fortified with eight essential vitamins and minerals. Yeah. That's why I would eat them. Yeah, that's why you eat them now, because they're healthy. They, 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 they like help you, you know, do well at the gym, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> they help me go buy new pairs of pants because I don't fit in the ones I used to wear. Because you're losing weight because they're healthy. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) This episode brought to you by adult diapers, which is what happens if you eat too many Pop-Tarts. You don't need medication to, you don't need laxative. Okay, uh, Pop-Tarts are out. They're not going to, and I've got the feeling the adult diaper people aren't going to sponsor us either. Kirk puts everybody, all the Valians, into a hut and tells Chekhov to watch them. And they try to come out because it's feeding time. And Kirk tells them no. And he sends them back into the hut. And he leaves McCoy there and uh, with Chekhov and says, do not let them out for any reason. He calls up to Scotty and says, are the phaser banks still working? And Scotty says, the phasers won't penetrate the force field. And Kirk says, if he's right, they won't have to. Okay, so Dana, we are 
at this point, probably 45 minutes into the episode. Yeah. Why did it take so long for Kirk to decide we're going to use the phasers? When in other episodes, it's like the first thing he does. Yeah, I don't have an answer. So Kirk's idea is that Val's energy is fading and keeping the ship from pulling away weakened it. And so he orders Scotty to fire and the phasers hit the force field. The thunderclouds move in again. Val looks like he's overheating. Sparks fly from his mouth and Kirk orders Scotty to cease fire and the serpent's eyes no longer glow. Spock reports that Baal is dead. Yeah, it really didn't take long. Scotty says the tractor beam is gone and the antimatter pods are working again. So Kirk calls the check off and McCoy, uh, telling them to let the people out of the hut. Uh, Akuta says, it was Val who cared for us, he, who put the fruit on the trees. And Kirk says, you learn to care for yourselves. You might even like it. And he steps up on a rock. And so he's over everybody. He says, uh, and you'll learn to build yourselves and think for yourselves. It's what's called freedom. Oh, God. And I was thinking at this point, Dana, oh, here we go. Here's another speech. It's going to go on and on. Yeah. And he's like, you'll like that a lot. And you'll learn about men and women. you learn about love. And you learn about children. And they ask, what are children? And Kirk says, it's kind of stumbling for a second. He goes, well, you'll figure it out. <laughs> so, back on the ship, we see Kirk and he hears McCoy and Spock disagreeing. Spock thinks they might not have done the right thing. He cites Genesis from the Bible saying that they have given given the people the apple and they are no longer in Eden. And Kirk asks Spock, Are you casting me in the role of Satan? Not at all, Captain. Is there anyone on this ship who even remotely looks like Satan? I am not aware of anyone who fits that description, Captain. No, Mr. Spock, I didn't think you would. And that's how the show ends, Dan. Now, that line about Satan is interesting because I've read that the people at NBC originally didn't like that Spock looked so Satan-like. So I'm wondering if this was a little bit of a dig at those people. Dana, what did you get as themes or dilemmas in this episode? Again, kind of like the, uh, what's the one, the Archons the uh, and Landrew. Yeah. Do you need challenges and growth to be happy? Something more than just a peaceful existence and an occasional wild party every now and then. So, Dan, do you have any uh, themes or dilemmas you want to dig into here? This has come up in a couple episodes, you know, and it has to do with kind of the prime directive. But, you know, is it ever okay to force a, quote, primitive culture into modernity. I was just reading that the Yanomami people of Brazil, which had been the most isolated culture on the planet for a long time, but now there's this conflict right now with the Yanomami people. The ones who want the gold and who want what's on the land, the resources on their land, think that they should be brought into kind of modern society. They're almost being forced to do that. You know, that question is, is it ever okay to force a culture into modernity? I mean, I personally have a feeling about that, that the answer is no. Yeah, I remember reading about that tribe and found that really fascinating. And it's not the first time that's happened in South America. Yeah. There's been other tribes that have been discovered that were never in contact before. And the same thing happened in Africa. Mm -hmm. Right away, you get people coming in and saying, you know, oh, we want to teach you this. We want to, you know, give you Christianity. But this has happened a lot. And people think that uh, changing primitive culture is improving it. But like you said, it's not always the case. They're, they face disease and other problems that uh, they weren't facing before. <laughs> Dan, do you want to talk about some of the best parts? Yeah, one of the best parts for me is Scotty. 
large and in charge up on the ship. Man, he I loved seeing him just in control of the whole situation. Yeah, I had, I had the same thing. It's always great. I think Scotty's a natural born leader. Yeah, I agree. Do you have another best part? I know you don't agree with this, but I kind of like the serpent head cave. You know, the eyes that glowed and it was very primitive, kind of just different from what we've seen. Do you have another best one for us, Dan? Spock being condescending to McCoy at least twice in a really biting and acerbic way. I, yeah, I thought that was great. Dana, did you have any other best parts of this episode that you want to talk about? Well, I'm going to steal one from you, Dan. Four dead crewmen and each died a different horrific death. That is a great point. I didn't put it in my best. Uh, interestingly, I didn't. I don't know why. Wow. I was sure that was, uh, I thought that'd be your top one. Well, I thought it was so obvious, you know, that I didn't really need to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> So Dan, what about a worst part for you? Well, the thing that I really never understood if Val is a machine, why does it need food? You know, like, I mean, actual food. They're throwing, I don't know, fruits and vegetables in there. Wouldn't it be better if it was like solar powered or geothermal powered? The people, there had to be somebody that invented Val, right? Did they invent Val to run on fruit and vegetables? I have a similar question there. Mostly what, what were they feeding him and how does a machine get nourishment? Did you have another worst part? No, you hurrah. No Sulu. They were both so great in last week's episode of Mirror Mirror. I don't know. I was kind of looking forward to seeing them again. Anything else that's a worst part for you? Yeah. You know, the people of Vol. Not how they dressed or the funny stuff that we've talked about, but, you know, this is a real tired trope of primitive people being really happy that they're living simple lives. They don't know any better. And then it's, you know, this advanced culture in quotes, advanced, these, this advanced culture that has to come in and save them. You know, in, in the real world, this attitude has had drastic and horrific impacts on Native people around the world and throughout history. Unfortunately, they still kind of played to that, I think, in this episode. Yeah, I agree. And that was one of mine as well. We're on the same page there. Dana, how about this day in history? Well, this was released uh, October 13th, 1967. And uh, we'll start off with music for the fourth week in a row. The box tops are number one in the U.S. with the letter. And in uh, the U.K., the number one song was the Bee Gees. Two weeks in a row now, Massachusetts. On this date, uh, U.S. President Johnson signed Executive Order 11375, expanding affirmative action programs to women in an effort to end gender discrimination within the U.S. government. The federal women's program was established from the order to enhance opportunities for women in every area of federal employment. Also on this date, the American Basketball Association, a challenger to the NBA, played its very first game. The Oakland Oaks scored the first ABA points, and the Oaks went on to a 132-129 to win over the Anaheim Amigos. Okay, both of those team names are dumb. <laughs> They're just dumb. <laughs> It was at the Oakland Coliseum in front of 4,828 fans. And since we're talking about basketball, and we're both from Chicago, October 14th, the Chicago Bulls, the 10th and newest franchise of the National Basketball Association, played their very first game, 105-90 to 90 loss to the Boston Celtics. I'm going to reach out a little bit further. October 17th, the first rock musical, Hair, premiered at the theater in the Astor Library in New York City's East Village. 
featuring a multiracial cast of quote-unquote hippies and attracting attention with the full frontal nudity of the cast. The show was sold out for each of its performances during its six-week trial run. It would also become the first off-Broadway musical to transfer successfully to Broadway. That's what we got for Today in History, Dan. So, time to move on to the counts. So, the dead crewman count, Dana. We had four this week, Dan. We did. And as you have pointed out, all differently and quite violently. No one died in their sleep in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, we had four, you're right, a total of 35. That was a pretty good jump there. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? You'd think there were opportunities, but it just didn't happen. So, we're at zero for this week, Dan. So, we're stuck at 10. How about the he's dead count? We got one. Yeah, it's pretty good. We did get one, so a total of six. I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank. Uh, none. Nope. So we are stuck at five. The supreme being count. Okay, this is where we got to talk. Yeah, I agree. I put in my notes that there could be an argument for this. Val did supply them with everything they need, and they worshipped him like a god. He also seemed to control the weather. He controlled the plants, was able to control the Enterprise from the ground. Yeah. He's a machine, but I kind of think he's a supreme being. If Val is a supreme being, if we're going to count him as a supreme being, does it matter that he was destroyed? Well, so it was Apollo. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you're right. I mean, for those reasons that you said, I'm going to agree with you. So we've got one for this week, Dana, and that gives us a total of seven. How about violation of the prime directive? Uh, One. Yeah, like the entire freaking episode. Yeah, I thought you might want to argue this one with me. No, because I mean, it's even debated among the characters in the show. Spock and McCoy are having the debate about whether it's a violation. I was more hesitant about the Supreme Being than I was about this one. So for violation of the prime directive, as you said, one for a total of five. We're moving on up with our counts. So Dana, what do we have coming up next week? Next week, Dan, it's another fan favorite. It's the Doomsday Machine. Dana, once again, I had a great time. I always do. And I'm looking forward to next week. Enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, thanks, Dan. As always, it's great to sit down and talk Star Trek with you. Like you, I look forward to next week. Until then, keep the comments and suggestions coming and live long and prosper. But Dana, I think you really need to put some work into becoming a Trekkie. I'm trying, Dan. I'm trying. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the exciting episode, The Doomsday Machine. Have a great rest of your week, and remember to live long and prosper. Prosper.